Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Off Air with Jane V. Uh, we're full on. We, uh, we I must start saying, hang on. Are we recording? We are. Yes. Oh, it's nothing's, nothing's wasted. No, let's keep the songs in because we're full of joie de vivre because we've just been on holiday for a week. Aren't you? Uh, it's lovely to be back. <laughs> does, okay. that, does that make sense? Would you like to see some of my holiday photos? I'll see one. I've agreed to see one. <laughs> I've agreed to see Do you see remember? Um, uh, it was a long time ago when people would have evenings, evenings they'd invite the neighbours yes. in and you'd look at their slides. Yes. And people really did do that, didn't they? This isn't an invention. It's it happened. An, it's not an invention at no. all. I'm going to find one of uh, the boys being really, really, really high up at the top of the mountain because I have to confess I didn't get right to the very top of the mountain. Do we need to say for new joiners that Fee went uh, on a, a ski trip to Bulgaria last week? Yes, that's um, a good idea. You yes. tell people that. And now with, I'm back. That's with the right. Bulgarian State Tourist Board. Is that right? Well, it was the Bulgarian State uh, Ski Tour Operator. Yep. You said that beautifully. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, we were on quite a kind of uh, state-sponsored trajectory. Mm -hmm. But the hotel was lovely. Everyone had a great time. I mean, really, really, really great time. I'm going to make you come skiing one year, Jane. I, no, I don't think that would work. I think it would work beautifully. I, I worked out. I haven't been skiing since 1992. There's a picture. I'm showing Jane a picture. No, that's absolutely lovely. And that's that does look like an absolutely gorgeous view. Yeah. Right? But it's quite green. Well, it was very green. And one of the huge problems that all of the ski resorts have faced across the Alps and across Bulgaria uh, is climate change. Because, you, you know, you notch it up one or two degrees... And your slopes have gone. So there was there was snow right at the top and on the main slopes, but there were quite a lot of artificial snow machines going at very early hours of the morning. And Steve, our Balkan ski rep, uh, said that January had been a write-off and there was genuine fear as to what happens to those communities if the tourism goes, because that is the industry now for thousands of people. And you were saying they were doing a roaring trade in stag stag parties. Well, yes. So the resort we were staying in uh, had uh, they had a bar called Peep Show. It oh, was a Peep Show yeah. bar. Uh, they had quite a lot of erotic shops, and um, yeah, my daughter spotted that at the counter in the supermarket they didn't sell chewing gum; they sold condoms. Where we might expect to find the chewing gum. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and don't confuse one for the other in any which way. Mm. So, yeah, do you feel a bit ashamed of the largely British contingents of youth mm. who are spreading their love all over mm. Bansko and beyond? But we had a lovely week, Jane. So, obviously, you know, we were high-minded and a little bit disapproving of that activity. Of course. Of course. Um, and just a brief word on the cuisine. Um, what, what would an evening meal be in Bulgaria? Well, I can show you my arch of meat, if you'd like to see that Well, you that said you were only going to show me one picture. <laughs> you only wanted to see one well, picture. I've, it's been a while since anybody uh, offered to show me an arch of meat. So come on, then. <laughs> OK, well, can you just chat about what's coming up on the podcast? And we then have, I'll find my arch of meat. We have some high-minded... Do you think if I put arch of meat into the search I'd facility... Please just literally, I beg you, not to do that. Um, our intellectual uh, company um, on off air today is provided by no lesser duo than the Reverend, and he is still Reverend Richard Coles, um, who's now a, a very successful novelist. He is, isn't he? He's a, he's a number one best-selling novelist. He's a raconteur, um, still a man of the cloth, um, and he has done a new podcast with um, Charles Spencer, Earl Spencer, uh, Princess Diana's a younger brother, as as most of us, I suppose, we're always he's always going to be known to most of us as um, that. So they've got together and done a podcast, and you'll hear them talking about it and uh, a few other things besides in a moment or two. Uh, Fee is still scrolling. She's not a digital native, <laughs> so it does take a little time, but she's going to introduce me very soon to an arch of meat. Here comes the arch of meat. Look, look at that. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. that is. It looks like uh, sort of one of my Girl Guide campfires. And then, um, so lots of sticks in a pyramid fire styly, And it's surrounded by a triangle of bits of meat. Yep. So it's it's four ginormous skewers of solid meat uh, with knives just thrown into the chopping board around those so you can just hack everything off. And can you see they've got some, thoughtfully put some tongs in just at the top so you can aid and abet your meat foraging activities. And, um, it's quite a thing, Jane, isn't it, it? It is quite a thing. It's quite a substantial creation. And are there chipped potatoes provided? Well, there are. And then the flames are being provided by what can only be described as powdered accelerant on the chopping board. So little <laughs> piles of fire lighters, which were lit to give extra effect. I see. So but do you know what? I don't want to laugh at that meal, actually, no. because it was it was, was it fantastic. Tasty? What kind of meat was it? Uh, meat. Meat, meat. 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 Oh, I'm afraid that's where I become all vegan because I don't fancy that. Yeah, no, there was some wild boar and there was a thing called monastery venison. So blessed by the monks. Uh, but honestly, I couldn't recommend a Bulgarian ski holiday more. Well, I think that's <laughs> absolutely brilliant. You've nailed your colours to the Bulgarian ski mask. Mast. <laughs> Ma mask. What do, what do you nail it to? Mast. Mast. Yeah. Yes. Not yeah. a mask. Okay. I've gone all pandemic. Right. Um, well, thanks for asking. I had a quite a dull week. I was week. just <laughs> about to. I was just about to. How was your week? It was all right. Thank you. Um, and I did pay a visit to student um, student resident residents. Not they good. They haven't improved since the last time I went to a student residence. Have they cleaned out the sink yet? Well, it's a different student and a different city and a different house, but the vibe is very, very similar. What did make me laugh is that I, I'd been out for lunch with my daughter and then we went back to her house. It was about half past four. And the other residents all gradually got up. <laughs> it's half past four in the afternoon. Um, and they came, I mean, because the lecturers were on strike last week. So there was, so I actually, my daughter simply couldn't think of a reason why I couldn't come to take her out for lunch. There was just no, she had no work to do. There's nothing in a diary. 
nothing. Uh, so um, I think it was quite a strain for her to get herself up and meet me at the station at half past 11 in the morning. Which Could you ever do that when bigger. you're a student? Just what? lays in bed all day? I think, I don't think I actually did. I think student life has changed in any number of ways since we went to uni. And I think... Is it because they're paying for it? I don't know. So they, I do think they work. I'm not saying they don't work, but they're they have quite uh yeah. There's a lot of lifestyle choices made at university that I don't think were available to me. Um, so it's it's different, isn't it? Because they are paying and they have the debt. Which I mean, I, I it's a difficult question the student debt thing because it's it's a loan and you're only asked to pay it back when you're earning over a certain amount. And is that any less fair than the situation where, in my day, when I went to university, when very few people did go to university, taxpayers were paying for me to go to university and not attend lectures on the mill on the floss because I couldn't be bothered going. So, no, um, that's not good. That's not fair either, is no. it? So I, I think it's a really, really difficult one. I don't know what the right answer to student um, funding is. I really don't. Yeah, um, but I I still think uh, it is off-putting, isn't it? It is so off-putting to families debt, people of don't very, like very, idea, very low yeah. income to take on that, ask their kids to take on that level mm. of debt, which would just be regarded in a completely different way to how uh, how our families might have regarded that level of debt. That's the problem, isn't See, it? I'm not actually sure that I would have been so eager, or my parents would have been that eager for me to go to university if I had to have a student loan to go. I don't know. It's a really... What do you think university gave you? Gave me? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I suppose a, a modicum of independence. A glimpse of a, a Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Birmingham's come out very well of today's news because they are powering forward zero emissions aircraft. A story which we might cover later yes, on. Yes, well, I know you're week. very interested in this. So, what, tell me oh, more yeah. about this. Well, so they've um, they are they've got their own decarbonising program in the city, which I'd like to know more about anyway. They've got much firmer aims to decarbonise quicker than the rest of the country, and one of the ways that they're doing that uh, is this really clever research into basically battery-operated planes which in our lifetime will become a thing. Mm. But at the moment, you know, all the jokes are there, aren't there? Have you plugged it in? Yeah. <laughs> Have you got enough charge? I didn't think we could make batteries. Hasn't our battery manufacturing company just gone bust? No, I think, uh, I, well, I think the problem is that you can't, you can't, we're going to have to import a lot of batteries, aren't we? I don't think, uh, I don't think we'll be starved of batteries. It's just they're going to be more expensive because we can't make them here. Because, okay. yes, that big place up, up north. Uh, is not quite such a starter. But I'm interested by the zero emissions planes because if you want to do a little bit of travelling, mm. uh, it is covered in... with a clear conscience. Yeah, it's covered in guilt at the moment, isn't yeah. it? And so it should be because it's the one of the you know biggest ways that you and I might contribute to global warming. Yeah. Well, yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it Although is. I'm not a big traveller. I don't think anyone can really accuse me of being the Judith Chalmers of my generation. <laughs> I do fly once a year. Twice, if you include the trip back. <laughs> so oh, don't bother with that, darling. You just stay. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yes, OK. Um, do you want to do an email before we have our guest? Oh, I'd absolutely love to, but I haven't read through any of them because I was so busy trying to find you a photograph of my arch of meat. Well, this is from Paul Wilkinson, who says, Fee, hope you had a great skiing holiday in Bulgaria. 
Well, I met him in the gondola. Well, pick it up. Go on. We met on the gondola on Monday discussing, amongst other things, gentrification in Hackney, gangs in London and Chelmsford, legislation on ski helmets in Europe. Uh, but I owe you a massive apology for confusing your excellent podcast and shows with Jane Garvey with a podcast on the Archers. Obviously not as good. <laughs> it's one of those slightly embarrassing conversations where Paul did mention something about the Archers. And I now feel so bad because I think there's probably some kind of a voodoo doll that is being passed around Archers fans and people stick pins into it. Because you're I so horrible. frequently say and I just have to switch it off. Because I'm always really late. I only got to Jennifer's demise today coming into work. And on... when did she demise? Well, she demised shortly after Christmas. Oh, and I can honestly say I nearly cried when Brian, played wonderfully by Charles Collingwood, the man in a cravat, just said he didn't know how he, whether he could go on or not. Honestly, oh. you had to be there and you had to be a fan of the Archers, but it's yeah. moving. Uh, so, anyway. Paul, I'm very sorry. Just to carry on, uh, Paul says, my wife, Catherine, who also loves your broadcast, was mortified that I've made such a stupid mistake, schoolboy error. <laughs> Uh, even so, great to meet you. Humble apologies. Happy skiing and broadcasting. We had such a nice chat uh, on the enclosed uh, chairlift going up the mountain. And it was quite funny because we did, we covered a lot of conversations in 2000 metres. Uh, so it's a pleasure it. to meet you, Paul. Yeah, but I hope you had a lovely week too. Yeah, well, um, it does sound as though Bulgaria is the ski destination du jour, de yes. no jour. So come along next year. Mm. Um, Anonymous writes, I hope you enjoyed your break. Uh, I am currently on holiday myself, a trip that has been six years in the making. Six years ago, I left my abusive marriage and made a promise uh, to myself that I would take my children away on holiday. A child-centred trip we'd never forget and free from the stresses that being away with my ex would impose. What better place could an autistic single parent go than to the centre of culture and corporate behemoth... Is that how you say it? Yes. Yes. Well done. Yeah. That is the European base of the animated mouse and his friends. Our first attempt was supposed to be in April 2020, and you don't need me to tell you why that was cancelled. A few more years on of trying to navigate restrictions, vaccine status requirements, and having to save up again, we finally made it here yesterday. You may wonder, therefore, why I'm sending this email to you, to you at 4.30 in the morning on the first day of our holiday of a lifetime. Well, around an hour and a half ago, my nine-year-old threw up all over the hotel room. One phone call to housekeeping, who swiftly provided clean bedding later. Naturally, I was terribly British, British and insisted on charging, changing them myself. I am now tucked up, unable to sleep, for wondering what is the appropriate amount to tip the housekeeping staff for the slightly messy room with the lingering smell of vomit. I apologise in advance for not being able to listen to you this week, but at this stage I can't say whether that will be due to vomit-tending duties or fun being had indulging in all the consumer excess our rodent host has to offer. <laughs> While thus far it has not been stress-free, it is fair to say that memories have been made and it is certainly a trip we will never forget. We have two more days and we will prevail, says Anonymous. You will prevail. I know you'll end up having a fantastic time and thank you. Um, that is an unfortunate start to what was obviously a much anticipated trip so i hope things get better for you so do i they and will do you know what lovely anonymous i mean the the propensity for children to vomit on oh, holiday is just so high uh, and it in the moment it is just one of the most disturbing things isn't it because you it's actually the only time that I've just felt unable to comfort my children just because you know, you're so disgusted yes yeah. I'm just being honest you know there's just kind of like do I pick them up and it's just mm. going to carry on all over me Honestly, it's a very very difficult one and if you're on your own oh it's awful 
I really feel for you. I think single parenting with with sickness is literally one of those things that I I did dread it, and when it happened. I was all right. I managed it, but it isn't great. No. It it really isn't great. And actually, it was one of the things I thought about before I had children was what would I, because I don't like vomit and I'm quite scared of it, what would I do when a child was sick? Because I wasn't sure I'd be able to cope. And I don't think, it's only then that you properly grow up, actually. If it's 10 to 3 in the morning and you're dealing with vomiting. Oh, yes. It's horrendous. You so, have to search for the hero inside you know, yourself. I absolutely did. I really did. Thank you, Anonymous, and have a really good time. And if everything has got better, and I'm sure it has, have one of those Mickey Mouse-shaped pizzas that I think they do in that place of entertainment. They're absolutely going to taste better being Mickey yeah. Mouse-shaped, aren't they? Oh, and they really did. They yeah. tasted lovely. So we're sending you metaphorical antibacterial wet wipes, and uh, I hope you've got a room where the window's actually open, because that's oh, the other problem. Please, please, I hadn't thought about that. Oh. But it is one of the huge problems yes. of Mondo Tales. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Let's go to our guests because they were very entertaining, weren't they? Uh, Charles and Richard. Richard and Charles. Dick and Charlie. <laughs> Dick and Charles. Like. Yeah. We were talking to the Reverend Richard Coles and his old neighbour, Earl Spencer. Let's just call him Charles. I just, I'm fascinated yes. by this idea of the aristocracy all having these historic roles in a coronation. <laughs> you just wonder what the Garvey's traditional cleaning the portaloos outside. It's been passed down a long line of Irish peasantry. <laughs> the current incumbent is DJ Jane Also, do you think. Come with a mop to Westminster Abbey. Do you think they've got a digitised address book somewhere at the palace? You know, where they just, they have all of the great big... Oh, they, well, you, they've been asked to apply. There was a big thing about it. If you think your ancestors have done this in the past at other coronations, get in touch. Well, do you think that's because they haven't got a digital? It doesn't sound to me book. as though they've kept their filing system up to date <laughs> since 1953. Well, that's embarrassing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's only, what is it, 70 years ago, yeah. I suppose people will have passed on. So we don't want to ruin the surprise at the end of the interview, but no. uh, you did ask him about the part that he might or might not play in the coronation. But they were in to talk about the rabbit hole detectives uh, which is a new history podcast that they are doing with the bioarchaeologist dr kat jarman and we started off by asking if they're showbiz friends or real genuine mates in proper life i was so relieved to meet richard it was at a really grim drinks party in northamptonshire which is our patch both of us and i saw a vicar hove interview and i thought oh here we go and he turned out to be very entertaining and told me a bit about his past. He's very shy, Richard. You have to push things out of him. You have to prize him. <laughs> <laughs> like a clam. Such yes. an edit of the conversation we had there. But not even... It was a very... Is. Can I say, it was a hugely inappropriate conversation to have with the vicar. Uh, but I knew we'd be friends after that. Can you give us a hint as to what the subject matter was? I Maybe was, uh, just in mime, if you need yes, to. Yes, no, I was... I, he mentioned that he had a male partner. Yeah. And I said, are you celibate? And he gave me a very direct answer. So I yeah. thought we get on quite well and we always have ever since. Um, this was at a, an event organised by the High Sheriff of Northamptonshire. I've done my research. Well, and, actually, um, I was chaplain to the High Sheriff. So that my... gives you licence to be really 
really rude. Well, it's really inappropriate. You're, yeah. in a, you're in a situation. I mean, it's a fact. It's a, it's, we should do a podcast about it, but it's a sort of county thing. So if you're involved in the life of the county, um, sh- high sheriffs and lord lieutenants, that kind of thing, there's always a knees up. And you can always say it's a knees up because everyone brings a sword. But I, I didn't get a sword because. I was sword light that day as well. But, but it I was. I've got a tricorn hat, though. Um, I know, but you weren't asked to. You just put it on. Well, and also try and get a tricorn <laughs> hat. And then I borrowed one from the Panto, but I had to get David to unpick the skull and crossbones because it was Long John Silver's. But in the photographs of the procession, you can quite clearly see the outline of the skull and crossbones on my... I was just in a suit, rather understated. I just love the fact that the detail is everyone has a sword. I mean, if you've got a sword that you can just pick up before you leave the house... The Garvey family don't carry swords on a Monday. I thought you'd know that, Fee. Um, I'm determined to get to the meat of today's conversation, which is theory, a talk about your podcast, which we are going to do at the start. So this is The Rabbit Hole Detectives. How did it come about, Charles? Well, um... Richard and Kat, the third presenter, Kat yeah. Drummond, we're, we're all quite good friends. And I don't know who suggested it, and it just sort of happened. But it is a problem because we, well, luckily it's in the title about rabbit holes. We do tend to wander off. So we do attack, we each present a subject, each podcast, which is set by one of the others the previous week. And we have to be, I think, meant to be sort of vaguely entertaining and interesting. I think that's the idea. Um, which is seldom reached, but we we tend to um, go down all sorts of strange areas of knowledge while discussing that, and then at the end, there's a sort of there's a disembodied voice who declares who's been the most interesting or whatever. Yeah. But it's not very com- we're not competitive people, are we, Richard? No, but I was seeing some issues over the marking, which I think for <laughs> season two need to be addressed, possibly at the Hague European Court or something. Well, to say. all I can say is when you get to the final episode. The way you pander and beg to win is not very seemly. That's humiliating. Oh, this is golden. They're going to fall out in a big way, Jay. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Never, brilliant. Never ha- we don't know anything about that. But he won. Thing. That's what's really... You shouldn't reward bad behaviour, but the producer did. Just well, saying. I think, I, some would say if they'd read any of Richard's work that some of his bad behaviour has been very richly rewarded. Well, thank yes. you. Yes. That. I would say it sort of began because... Um, Charles, uh, his, uh, his, uh, on the estate at Altrup in Northamptonshire, they found a Saxon village. So Kat was digging it up. So she came to be an archaeologist. And then it was sort of after-dig conversations that sort of led to this thing, because we're just all interested in lots of different things. And we have different but kind of uh, slightly overlapping areas. Mm. Of, I have no expertise at all, but Charles is a historian. Kat's an archaeologist. I just... You did history at university, didn't I you? I did. But yeah. you see, Richard has that extraordinary knowledge. My children one Christmas tested him on, you know, who wants to be a millionaire. And he knew every... every there wasn't an, a, a theme that he didn't nail. So annoying. And then he also knows every obscure flag. You know, he, he was, he's just that person. He's pub quiz lonely material. child. Mm. <laughs> a lonely, you, weird you, child. You know all the saints as well, don't you? I'm good on saints. You're very good on saints. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. Wolfric of Hazelbury today, patron saint of pattern cutters. Patron? Does, does every single job have a patron saint yeah and you can there's no rule to stop you giving a patron saint to somebody so i mean there's patron saints of the internet there's patron saints of tinder there's patron saints of all sorts there of isn't things. a patron saint of tinder yeah. well who who decides who that is, is well, it anyone you? i mean there are formal ways of doing this is subject to our podcast can i say it's exactly how it goes and i'll just go down these <laughs> mad I mean, so the roman catholic church or the orthodox churches of the east would have methods of doing that but saints were often made saints by acclamation just by making a big splash in the local there charles has got an ancestor who's nearly a saint he is um what is Aloysius. he blessed is he he's blessed, blessed. yes yeah, Ig- ignatius they're trying to find a second miracle which would be a miracle in what, itself what was the first miracle well i think he helped somebody who had a tied tongue 
but he didn't. I, well, I don't think he did, but uh, they wanted to make him uh, saintly, I think. And he, he was actually. A, he died in a ditch, yes. didn't he? Yeah, he fell off a log and died in a ditch. But before that, he had a, a very distinguished religious career like Richard. In Northamptonshire. <laughs> well, actually, he took his message... Uh, he, he became Catholic and then joined the Passionist. Loyalists. Passionists, sorry, yeah. Passionists, which is the sort of extreme wing of Jesuitism, and prayed for the reconversion of England to Catholicism. And, and anyway, he, he, they thought that was good. And then fell off a log. And then that was it. <laughs> right. Uh, can we just get to the Tower of London, because I'm pointing as though this helps anybody uh, listening. It doesn't. But the Tower of London isn't that far from where we're sitting right now, the other side yes. of the Thames. I think it's the most frightening place I've ever been to. Well, for I good went, reason. I went there at night once and I couldn't get out of the place quick enough. Um, you've got a good fact, Richard, so just bring it to life well, for I've us. Got, so here's a typical thing. We were talking about execution methods. Charles's expert, Charles wrote about the regicides, the people who were responsible for the death of Charles I, who later met sticky ends themselves. Are they uh, the subject of the Robert Harris's new book. Oh, Act I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's taken two of the ones I've dealt with and turned them into fictionalised characters. Right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on, Richard. Well, my friend, Christian, plays the organ at St Peter Ad Vincula, which is the parish church for the Tower of London, and the bloke who looks after the vicar there has a kitchen, and on the kitchen there's a table, and that was the table on which they used to take the just beheaded and sew their heads back on. Not all of them, not everyone got that privilege, but some, Charles I, although that was at, in Whitehall, they had the heads sewn back on for burial. So you could sit there having, I don't know, a pot noodle or something round the table or a slice of Battenberg and actually thinking, well, on this table, the severed heads of beheaded grandees were reattached to their body. That's the sort of thing we talk about. And also, what's so strange, and this is actually not in the podcast, but... Um, being executed with a with an axe is incredibly painful. I heard that bit. Yes, it's so it was so thought terrible. of as this great compliment to yeah. high-born people who are going to be executed. But the rope, if you got it right, was a much quicker exit. Really? And one of the things that I learned from that podcast was the fact that the guillotined heads do still move, show emotion, because mm. for a couple of... For a few seconds. I got a, a doctor friend who said that you would st- your brain would still be functioning, feeling pain, etc., uh, for a few seconds after the, the blade had done its work. Yeah, Lavoisier, the, the chemist who was uh, guillotined in the terror, arranged with an assistant to count the number of times he blinked after the blade fell. So it was an experiment to see how mm. long he could operate the apparatus of his face Gosh. after the head was detached. So when Jane and I get together outside of work, sometimes we talk about TV. Usually we just read <laughs> about people who work at Radio 4. Is this the kind of chat that you two have together? When it you're is, just... actually. Is it is. Um, I mean, we've done paper clips. Yes. We've done Daxons, we've done pub neckties, names. pub names. Yeah. So we start with a vaguely interesting theme and then broaden it out. I think that's really what we're trying to do. And as Richard said, we, we, we're very complimentary. So Cat uh, Jarman is a proper yes. uh, academic, uh, particularly in the Viking Age, and, and Richard's got this general knowledge, and I have quite specific areas. But between the three of us, it's quite good. And also the good thing about Cat is that she stops us just being like two ridiculous friends and chatting. She, yeah. And she's Norwegian. So there's a whole new thing that she brings to it with her Norwegian. So she told us, we did one on paper clips, and we learned about Operation Paperclip, which was uh, a, a resistance movement in Norway, which we didn't know mm, about at Which all. her grandfather was involved in, I think. We also found out that, do you know what the French for a paperclip is? Gone. Trombone. 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 Because what does a paperclip look like? It looks like? a bit like a trombone. Gosh, I, I don't know about you, listener. <laughs> I'm learning such a lot. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I was a bit rude earlier and suggested that perhaps they were convenient showbiz pals. But actually, Richard, um, you've written, I know, about your grief after the, the loss of your, your partner. Yeah. And actually, Charles and, and his wife, Karen, were hugely supportive. So what is it that makes a good friend at a, at a time like that? Well, specifically in the case of Charles and Karen was having a house with security and a high wall gate because after David's death there was a lot of interest and some of it was very intrusive and I was a bit of a mess actually. So they very kindly took me in and they gave me, not only took me in but also, uh, you know, I had some privacy which was really good. But actually they were just good friends. They just understood, said come and go as you please. I was uh, so proud of my children actually at the time, the younger children because they've known Richard, they know Richard incredibly well. And it was over Christmas, and they just treated him as part of the family. And it was just, I, I, it was just nice to be able to do that for Richard. Richard's one of these people who does so much for everyone else that it's just nice occasionally mm. to be able to do something back. What do you think intrusion, that public intrusion, does to grief? I mean, you are a man who really understands that. Um, well, it, it makes it hard to process, actually, because you become part of a, a wider story rather than dealing with your own grief, I think. I think that's part of it. And I think uh, if I look at Richard in those circumstances, the absolutely disgraceful things that people were up to to try and uh, profit from his loss was was so shocking. And, um, yeah, it, it rang a few bells. And, you're, and, you know, everyone, regardless of their circumstances, goes a bit bananas in grief. I think it is a form of madness, actually. And, uh, and well, well, you understood that, of course. And, mm. uh, and then you give people enough room to do their crazy thing and... Uh, mm. But it must be out. so difficult to uh, process anger at the same time as grief because there's a part of grief where you are livid to yeah. have lost somebody. Well, I had an incident with a bloke on a moped, actually. So uh, I was turning right onto the A510. It was a tricky turn in Finder. And there was... I'd misjudged it and a bloke on a moped came by and I pulled out from him and he had to break and he, and he did a very rude gesture at me. And... I was actually wearing a dog collar. And when he got close to see my dog collar, he pretended he was just kind of not doing a rude gesture because <laughs> the dog collar freaked him out. But then I did a rude gesture back to him because I lost it, actually. But rude gestures from people in dog collars is not a great look. <laughs> but it just, you know, there are things in life which just shock you out of the everyday and the familiar. Mm. And you behave in, in peculiar ways. And, well, it just happens, doesn't it? Charles is looking <laughs> contemplative. Yeah, no, I, I, grief is such... Everyone listening to this has had grief on some level, um, probably many times. I, I'm amazed by the mechanics of grief, actually, and what it does to you. So it speeds up your day, it stops you sleeping, your brain becomes 
uh, it goes into overdrive in different directions and you're dealing with the the change forever, I think, and, 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 and that's probably the... Well, that's common to all of us, I think. I think the only thing that happens is that everyone around you wants you to be better, as if you've had a cold or something, but it's not that sort of a thing. You don't get better, you just learn to live with it. So sometimes they're a bit disappointed and a bit frustrated with you because it would suit them if you were just better, right? Um, and that is a bit interesting, that needs a bit of managing. Yes, and you. I remember you saying at the time that somebody advised you that... You know, nobody will ever be as nice to you as now when you've just been widowed. Best advice I got was from a widow on the day David died, and she said exactly that. Just everyone will be really nice, she has to make the most of it. It's a well, bit of practical help. Yeah, I think I just want to be really... Because I thought, I thought your book, The Madness of Grief, was really brilliant. Actually, a sensational Richard. book. Yeah, really good and Thank beautifully you. written. And if, I actually listened to it rather than reading it, and I thought it was brilliant. So if anybody is in that sort of going through that experience at the moment, I can honestly say that I'd recommend your, your book. I thought Thank it was you. really compelling. I was telling him that literally an hour ago, Were saying you? how good it was. That's yeah. both you and I who've been yes. nice to him. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Let's stop. Well, I had just bought him lunch. <laughs> yes. Can I thought talk? it was completely average. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. I've always thought you're average, too. Thank you. Well, there we are. It's been said before. You don't have to take that, Fiona. Um, gay marriage. Where are you with the Church of England now? Because this this blessing marriage fandango is just... It's such... I mean, I can say this in this space, on this radio station. It's such a classic Church of England fudge that's got nobody anywhere. Yeah, Anglican fudge should be sold at every fate, I think. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a tentative move in a direction that those of us who uh, want more inclusion welcome but it doesn't actually change anything at all it's just that classical angle of giving the appearance of a movement of change but actually nothing has really changed so remains to be seen where it'll go and it's all about the direction of travel but don't expect anything decisive soon because we just don't work and isn't it extraordinary i mean i've never met as many gay people in an organization as in the anglican church and i say that absolutely openly and thrilled that that's the case so why do they lacerate themselves with this on top of it it's so strange well i mean it's complicated uh, and it's about the argument is not really about sexuality the argument is about authority who gets to decide what's in and what's out that's what it's really about that one you know that argument has happened in one form or another since the very beginning of things but can you explain to people listening how it must have felt to you uh, to not be able to celebrate your love for David within the place that you had chosen to spend so much of your life and well, dedicate course, your life to. Well, we did celebrate our love in that place, but mostly through being in the pantomime, which is a rather different thing. But anyway, that's what we did. But uh, in church, it's just not... I mean, it was necessary for us to maintain the discipline or sometimes the appearance of the discipline in order for me to do my job, which was to be the Vicar of Finder. And I love being the Vicar of Finder. It's a great job. It's a lovely community. And I just had to find a way of doing that. It's funny enough, only when I retired that I realised quite what it does to you to have to somehow put a face on something which is unconscionable. And uh, I'm not prepared to do it anymore. Mm. But you're still a member of the Church of England. I'm still a priest, yeah. Mm. And I'm still still able to serve in that capacity. It's just, I don't know where... De-vickering is weird. It's one of those roles that defines you and you only realise when you stop doing it how much it has defined you. So I'm trying to work out what it's like to not be a vicar anymore. Don't smile at strangers in your own village in the way you would as a vicar. It just looks sinister. <laughs> You'll find yourself arrested. Well, you're not again. Um, can we talk coronation? Um, do you, uh, the Spence, do they have a sort of... I've been reading about this bizarre thing where apparently aristocratic folk can apply for a role occupied by one of their ancestors mm. at the coronation. Goodness. Well, do the Spencers well, not have... I mean, you've been highly successful sheep farmers since yes, the 16th century. Yes, we did our bit with the sheep. 
Um, I, I think uh, we'd never had an official role in it. It just turned out like everyone else used to when it was the hereditary peers in the House of Lords. So obviously that's, uh, that's no longer the case. So um, there is some old coronet knocking around somewhere, but I won't be wearing it soon, I don't think. So you know, do, will, will you not be going? I wouldn't have thought so. I think it's only about 2,000 people going. Because the last coronation, there were 8,000 That's right. or something. Yeah. 8,000 guests yeah, or, including or witnesses all the or whatever it is. Do you know the Dimmicks of Scribblesby? No. Well, when I was in do you Bos- know anything? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, no, the of Scribblesby. <laughs> they so, come over most weekends, Jane. <laughs> it's, it's a family, and they're in Lincolnshire, in the walls of Lincolnshire, where I used to be a vicar years ago. And they are the hereditary kings or queens champion. And their hereditary job is to ride a horse into the banqueting hall and throw a gauntlet down. Mm. And they've done it since, I think, the 12th century. So I don't know if there'll be much of that going on at the coronation banquet of King Charles. Can I just ask you, Charles, what... I mean, I imagine your feelings on that day might be quite mixed. I think... I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. Those of us with memories of your sister, Diana, Mm. well, I think many of us, my generation, Fee's generation, we will be thinking... We'll be thinking of her. Um, And I hope that doesn't... It's not offensive, but I think she'll be in our minds. I think it's very complimentary, actually. Um... But, I mean, obviously I think of Diana every day, but in different contexts. And the whole, actually, the whole royal thing doesn't really, it's not, I don't find it as interesting as a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? I just get on with my life. And um, I look after what I have to look after in the estate, and I have a career, and write books, etc. So I, I, I don't really, I, I, people obviously assume that I care a lot about uh, that side of things, but it's just a, it's just a side a side. But would, you, would you like to ride your horse into the banquet and throw a gauntlet down? Only if you were there to look really jealous, Richard, because I know you would prefer to do it. I could wear a table. That was going to be my trumpet. next question. Surely there's a role for Richard at <laughs> right. the coronation. If there isn't, he'll be doing his own little ceremony at I'm, home, I think. I'm going to get nowhere. There's a ring of steel I'd never get through. Are you going to be like Boris Johnson at a photo shoot? Just make sure that you're in the line Just of the camera all the way down. I wouldn't get that near. I'd be taken out by security long before then. Well, I'm glad to see you both. Um, I thought it was a very interesting listen. And Thank it's you. the old... What, I've just completely lost the title of it. The Rabbit Hole Detectives. Detectives. The Old Rabbits, I was going to call it, which Thank would be highly you. offensive. <laughs> the Rabbit Hole Detectives. And it's out now. It drops every week, doesn't it? For the next yes. eight drops weeks. like manna from above. Yeah. yeah. And there's all and kinds of stuff in it. It is full of really, really useful stuff. At one point, Richard, you say, I wonder if literacy has eroded glory. And I actually had to press pause and give that one a little bit of a think. Blimey. I know. I it, think I was in literally to Rodi Gloria Gaynor, was what I was going to say. But, <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad that's what you heard. Really. That's an interesting quote, isn't it, that you picked up on there, Fee? I wonder if literacy has eroded glory. Yeah. No, I did. Did he actually say that? Yes, he did. Yeah, but he was talking about diaries and about war diaries and the fact that now more people are recording their experiences and it's not just the great and the good that history keeps. Mm. So, you know, the war diaries that that uh, are venerated now tend to be from people who are in charge of armies. You know, they mm. are not of the everyman soldier. Mm. So that was his point, uh, that actually now everybody can read and write and record. Oh, I see. So that is an interesting point. It's a different yeah. type of war that is being yeah. 
talked like about that, to yeah. be the truth. Yeah, yeah. It, which is a very helpful thing. So, but, but it was just a beautiful phrase. And I know that, you know, we're slightly kind of taking the mickey out of our friend Dickie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes he comes out with stuff like that. Yeah, he? he does. He's very. He's a very clever man. He is a clever man, yeah. Um, and, yes, it was good to see him and uh, and Charles Spencer. And um, it's interesting. I get Charles's obvious reluctance to engage in questions about the royals. But um, I kind of believe him when he says he's not as interested in them as people seem to think he would be. I think in many ways the Spencers are just as grand as the Mountbatten-Windsors, so they probably don't have all that much time to spare to ponder on the you know, comings and goings. Yeah. Of, um, well, it's probably like uh, I mean, uh, Tess Daly and Claudia Winkleman, they probably don't care very much about each other's families because they're both on an enormous A-less par. Maybe it's the same kind of thing. I wouldn't have made that comparison, but I, I tell you what, I think it's an interesting one. <laughs> yes, I, absolutely. Um, OK, so it's the Rabbit Hole Detectives is their uh, rambly, but very companionable and properly interesting history mm. podcast. Um, it's dropped, one episode's dropped already, and then I think there are seven more coming your way every week. But it did get us thinking, didn't it, about uh, Princess Diana and how she would be now mm. had she lived. She would be 61 years old. Gosh, and I think, uh, and maybe this is the difference between us, you know, I err on the side of rainbows and unicorns. I like to think that she would have uh, had a much happier later life than the life she was living at the time she died. I think she would have adored her grandchildren. Maybe she would have really got on, you know, with her son's wives and her dotage could be incredibly different. You're not so sure. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not so sure. I... Oh dear, this is such a difficult one, isn't it? You, you, we can, we'll never know no, the answer of we'll to any know. of these. Yeah. Um, I do think that I wonder how her life would have played out. I think, it, well, would the events of May the sixth be allowed to happen had she lived? I, I don't think every every aspect of what's going to happen on May the sixth would have been as easy to uh, cope with. Had she lived? No, not at all. And there are a thousand different kind of mm. imaginings and endings, aren't there? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I've, I just would have obviously hoped that happier times lay ahead for. Oh, her. I definitely would have hoped that. And she, who knows? She actually may have gone on to meet the love of her life, because I don't think she had by the time she. I don't think Dodie was was that person. Was yeah, good lord, no. <laughs> anyway, let's bond. Uh, the Glovers have an official role at the coronation. I shouldn't have assumed that you haven't got one. No, um, sadly, we we've been left off that roller Are deck. Are not um, purveyors of gloves to the royal family? <laughs> no, the, we we have no kind of aristocratic lineage going back down the years. Are at you all. sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, it doesn't entirely surprise me, but it's just good to be reassured. <laughs> Doesn't entirely surprise me. We're still hoping to do that programme on the coronation, aren't we? But I'm we, not sure we're going to. Well, we've been putting in requests. Yeah, many applications have been made. So far. Nothing forthcoming mm. at all. And also, I think probably by now we would have had a permit slapped on us. Oh, yes, or at least yeah. somebody would have asked Nothing's to see happened. some ID. See your passport. That's, yeah, no. that's not happened. No. Mm. Oh, well, everything's still crossed. We, I'm sure we have a certain amount of time. Well, it's good to be back and um, I'm glad you had a good time. And uh, let's reconvene tomorrow. Thank well, you. let's do that because yeah. that's our job. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and it's rather good to be back doing it. Good evening. A very good evening to you.
have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com